Let us worship God. Holy Spirit, come to us. Kindle in us the fire of your love. Holy Spirit, come to us. Holy Spirit, come to us. from the book of Numbers, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 24th verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, that in your will we may discover your peace. Amen. So Moses went out and told the people the words of God, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. 
Then God came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all God's people were prophets and that God would put God's spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter beginning with the first verse. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Here ends the reading. I'll never forget the first time I entered her class. Our first assignment, when the room is watching, learn how to stand. Our second, develop an internal timer so that you know what a minute feels like and how to speak for not a second more than three. By the end of class, we knew what it felt like to read the words on a dusty page and to so allow your head and your heart and your gut to believe them that for those listening and for you with them, all time disappears. She made me believe in my voice in more ways than one. There are some people who, for one reason or another, become matriarchs or patriarchs for us. People who make us feel assured. When we don't know the answer to some problem, some question, when the ground seems to be shaking beneath our feet, we can go to them and trust they will help orient us. And the thought that they would no longer be around is disorienting. Jana Childers is one of those people for me. Last weekend, I went to the seminary's commencement it was the first time I'd been since I graduated. Truth be told, I wasn't planning on going this year, but David had some goodbyes to make, and some part of me wanted to be there too. So we made our way up the hill and sat in Stuart Chapel once more. Familiar faces filled the nave, friends who have preached from this pulpit, 
professors who joined our Pewless podcast, scholars who have deepened our experience of companions on the inner way. In good Presbyterian form, a bagpiper led the processional. And when Jana entered the chapel, it hit me. This was her last time. In addition to teaching homiletics, that $3 word for preaching, she had been the longest serving dean. And after seeing the seminary through many changes, she was finally retiring. Commencement was long, as commencements are. And as it was about to end, Jana ascended the staircase to the pulpit for one final charge. And just as she taught us, time disappeared. And I knew, I knew I had just witnessed magic. I knew we were beholding a raindrop filled with a lifetime of practice. The hard-won work of making her inside match her outside. I was amazed. In the span of 13 minutes, she made my world explode and then put everything back together again. She lifted me to the rafters and made me ready to meet whatever might come. She took a room of friends and strangers, anointed us with a spirit older than time, and united us as one. As powerful as our matriarchs and patriarchs can be, as transcendent their words, they do not escape the weight of leadership. Whether dean of a school, parent of a child, or coordinator of a social hour, those in positions of leadership receive the glory and the groans that they continue to rise morning after morning might be what's most heroic. Our reading from Numbers comes just after Moses, leader of all leaders, is about to throw in the towel. After years of eating manna, the people just can't take it anymore. They begin dreaming about cucumbers and melons of Egypt and complaining that all they have is manna and no meat. This is not the first time Moses has been plagued by their needs. But this time, he's exasperated. So he turns to God and says, what have you done to me? You're making me act as if I'm their wet nurse. You created them. Why don't you take care of them? And God says, all right, fine. They want meat. 
I'm going to give them so much quail, it's going to come out their nostrils. By the time I'm done with them, it's going to be loathsome for them. And Moses is like, yeah, okay, I have 600,000 people with me. And God says, challenge accepted. (laughs) Now, two books ago, the first time the people complained that Moses has led them into the wilderness only to die of hunger, and God gives them manna and quail to satisfy their needs, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit. And after hearing about the escape from Egypt, about the parting of the sea, about the manna and the quail, and all that Moses has been through, Jethro says, Oh, Moses, you're not going to last long. If you don't share some of the weight of leadership with others, you're going to wear out yourself and the people. And Moses listens, and things improve, and the people carry on in the wilderness, all the tribes of Israel moving together. But here he is again, bent over by the weight of the mantle, and wouldn't you know it, just before all the complaining kicks in, Moses' father-in-law shows up, and he says, Moses, I think I'm ready to go home now. And Moses says, oh, please don't go. We have a plan now. It'll be okay. And of course, that's when things go haywire. But from Jethro's lips to God's ear, God kills two birds with one stone. God has Moses gather 70 elders, representing all the offspring of the tribes of Israel. And God descends in a cloud, takes some of the weight of God's Spirit off of Moses, and places it on the elders so that they can share the burden of leadership with him. And the sharing is not limited to those gathered. There are others further off in the distance, those not among the 70, but who nonetheless are given names that mean beloved of God. And they too end up carrying some of the weight of God's spirit. And when Moses hears of it, he's not jealous. He's relieved. He says, thank goodness, would that all of God's people were prophets. And all the elders return from the tent of the meeting to the camp. But God's not done yet. A wind carries quail from the sea onto the land, so many that they cover a day's journey in any direction and pile up two cubits high. And this becomes known as the place where their cravings were buried. And the people never ask for more quail again. (laughs) 
Centuries later, when they settle down and become an agrarian people, they remember from whence their food comes, and they practice first fruit offerings. After each harvest of grain, wine, and oil, they bring the first fruits to God. And these become known as Pentecosts. Each first fruit offering 50 days apart, beginning 50 days after the Lamb of Passover. Each Pentecost is a way to remind themselves and to remind God of the covenant they share, that they won't be forgotten. It's a prayer that the wheat will come again, that the vines will ripen, that the trees will bear fruit, that the sheep will return safe from the pasture. Each Pentecost is a pilgrimage made together to the tent, now temple of meeting, a promise that they have a future worth hoping for, whatever the hardships, whatever the odds. It's a reminder that God dwells in their midst still. So it is this context of this celebration that our story in Acts meets us, with Jews from every nation, all the tribes of Israel gathered in Jerusalem together. Fifty days before this, those who loved Jesus awoke to find an empty tomb. And ever since then, in their walking, in their praying, in their breaking bread, they've been learning what it means to live into new life again. They've had moments of glimpsing Jesus in their midst, moments when they wondered if he was back to realize the dream of God's peaceable kingdom on earth. But after seeing it with their own eyes, they finally accept that, like Moses, Jesus has been taken into the heavens. Now, a reconstituted twelve, it's their turn to bear fruit. And a most incredible thing happens. A violent wind fills the house where they're sitting, and divided tongues of fire descend and rest on each one of them. And as we might say, they find their voice. Every once in a while, when preparing for a sermon, a gift appears. This week, as I was poring over commentaries, not entirely convinced they would bear fruit, I began to recognize a familiar cadence. The more I read, the more curious I became. The author began quoting another local scholar who once observed that the peculiar image of a divided flame of fire was a symbol of the Roman Empire. Circulated on coins depicting Caesar with divided flames above his head, it communicated, he is divine, the son of God. 
gathered on Pentecost, every nation together, people of every social strata and gender, a counter-narrative grew. They were a people filled with storied pasts, doubts and fears, complaints and hunger, yet with tongues of fire, they were also anointed children of God. And clear as day, they knew. God is here. The Spirit of the living God baptized them with fire and with power, and they were ready to meet whatever might come in shared leadership together. When I reached the end of the article, I saw her name and received a double blessing. Written the year I arrived at seminary and read the week she retired. Jana Childers, still lifting spirits and transcending time. Though we might have moments of glimpsing Jesus in our midst, we don't become superhuman when we are anointed by the Spirit of God. The weight remains. Our humanness remains. And that's what makes the raindrop so beautiful. We rise each morning. We put one foot in front of the other. We carry on through the wilderness and make our first fruit offerings. And somehow, we make it through together. And when we look around, we see it. The Spirit of God living in our midst. Oh, uh-huh.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. Thank you. 
have fed us in word and song in silence and in community and for that we give you our thanks and our praise amen go forth anointed by the spirit and by fire and may the grace of god who created you in love the peace of christ who teaches it is possible to be love and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen. Amen.